for watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. So excited to be able to have a doctor today on the show. Dr. Mosley, thank you so much for um, carving out some time for the Leading Virtuous uh, podcast and to inspire our leaders, uh, to inspire our audience with your leadership. So excited to be able to dive in today. The first question always is, who are you? Well, thank you, Christopher. Glad to be here as well. And um, certainly grateful for this opportunity. Um, so my, uh, who I am, my, my journey starts in a, in a rural community in Mississippi. So I always like to refer to that because I think that that uh, really um, uh, makes up uh, who I am, regardless of where I'm in my life now. But born and raised in rural Mississippi in a very um, nurturing community where um, people, even outside of my immediate family, uh, I think uh, had a vested interest in, in who I who I was in and who I would become, and so that's that's a part of who I am now. Yeah, I carry that as a part of my values now, and I always like to um, to pay tribute to that because that defines who I am. But I am um, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Um, I am um, a um, you know I'm a person who's very passionate about um, helping others and serving. Um, in, in whatever setting I, I, I'm, I'm privileged to serve in. And um, just, a, you know, um, um, a fellow tra traveler um, on the journey of life. Um, so I, I, I think that kind of broadly describes me. And I know throughout our conversation, we'll get in, we'll, we'll dive a little deeper into some of the specifics, but I would sort of broadly describe myself in that way. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing. And can you tell us a little bit about um, your title and the work that you do within the healthcare industry? Sure. Yeah. So um, I work for Methodist Lebanon Healthcare, uh, which is based in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we are a comprehensive not-for-profit integrated healthcare delivery system. So we have six hospitals, um, uh, two adult, I'm sorry, five adult hospitals and one pediatric hospital. We also have, um, uh, a variety of ambulatory care um, settings. So we have um, within this market about 100 primary care offices. We have same-day surgery centers, um, um, hospice uh, facilities, um, home health care. Um, uh, we, we employ about 13,000 individuals here in the market. Uh, I serve as the senior vice president and chief mission integration officer for the system. And Christopher, basically what that means, uh, you know, that title sort of, uh, you know, the roles, the role and function of that title sort of varies from, from setting to setting. But in this setting, um, I have responsibility for um, most of our outwardly focusing um, efforts of our health system. So for example, uh, um, rolling up to me is our, our healthcare foundation. Uh, so the Methodist Healthcare Foundation does fundraising for service line development, for um, program development, capital projects within our system. Also rolling up to me is all of our community outreach, community um, uh, health efforts. So 
we have in our system about 25 chronic disease self-management programs that we offer to members of our community. And so all those roll up to me. So things, you know, like diabetes, hypertension, asthma, HIV, AIDS, um, all of the chronic diseases that, that people tend to suffer from. Behavioral health rolls up to me. I know that's a, uh, you know, that's certainly uh, an area of great concern for a lot of people um, uh, as we continue to sort of find a way out of the pandemic. But that behavioral health rolls up to me. So we have here in our system um, uh, sort of a, a, a spectrum of behavioral health offerings from EAP, which is Employee Assistance Program, to um, integrating behavioral health into our primary care settings, um, to even ambulatory, um, ambulatory care clinics uh, specifically for behavioral health. And um, our spiritual care rolls up to me. So we are faith-based um, health system. Uh, we're related to the United Methodist Church. And so we have in all of our facilities, we have chaplains. Um, we have, um, uh, we even have a clinical pastoral education program that rolls up to me. And in that program, we train chaplains uh, to serve, not just here, but wherever they, they choose to live and serve afterwards. So it's a pretty broad um, spectrum of, of responsibilities, um, Christopher, with about 400 team members total in my division. And so... Um, so yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's what I do within, within the healthcare system here. Well, that's, that's excellent. <clears throat> and we've had a couple different chief mission officers as part of the leading virtuously podcast as guests. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just unique, your type of role where they've led, you know, some operations outside of just the pastoral care too. Um, so that's exciting to hear and excited to dive in some more about that as well. Yeah, but that I know that you you've told me um, you know prior to recording that you've had kind of an interesting um, um, trajectory into the industry. Can you share a little bit about how you got to the leadership position that you're in today? Sure. Um, so I think as as sort of the um, probably the broader context of the story for me, uh, Christopher is um, you know um, none of our paths are 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 you know, are, are as straight as we'd like for them to be. Um, there are always these sort of meandering turns in our journeys. And so I began um, my journey, um, uh, I think about this, an undergraduate uh, uh, school, uh, uh, you know, majoring in biology um, with the desire to go to med school. So I finished undergrad with a degree in molecular biology, spent actually a semester in med school. Uh, and after the, after that first semester, you know, I, I kept thinking to myself, I don't know if this is what God really wants me to do with my life. And, and during that entire time, um, I, I should have mentioned this during the entire time of undergraduate, you know, I, I did all the things you're supposed to do to prepare for med school. I did, you know, research and, uh, re- summer research projects, all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, I was working in a church as a youth pastor mm-hmm. and, and I, I never will forget this. You know, there's something called the, um, inner call and the outer call and the inner call is, you know, where you, you know, where you receive or, or discern uh, from God, what God is calling you and leading you to do in your life. But the outer call is when God places other people in your life who begin to say to you, Hey, I think you would be great at this, or I think you would be great at that. And I never will forget when I was working as a youth pa- youth pastor at this uh, church in Jackson, Mississippi, there were so many people who almost on a weekly basis would, would come up to me and say, yeah, I know you're talking about you want to be a doctor, you want to go to med school, but I really feel like God is calling you to ministry because 
you know, I see the way you, 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 you interact with people. I see the way you are excited about doing work in the church. And I, I brushed it off and I said, no, that's not, that's not a part of my path, not a part of my journey. Uh, I'm majoring in molecular biology. I'm going to med school. I don't want to hear this stuff. Okay. So, so stop trying to throw me off track here. Um, but, um, you know, after that first semester, I, I, you know, I was going through this sort of discernment process and praying and asking God for, for, you know, for, for direction. And, and, and God said to me, he said to me, you know, I think you could do either of these, but I think you know where your heart is leading you. And so I came home after that first semester, came home to Mississippi to my folks. And, and uh, I never will forget this. We were sitting around the table having dinner. My, my, I have uh, older siblings. So my oldest sister and her husband were there and they, they, they both have been like parents to me as well. And so I um, announced that I wasn't going back to med school, that instead I, I think I'm going to go to seminary. And my, my brother-in-law, so, so I got to tell you this, about an hour from where we live, there's a state mental hospital. And so my brother-in-law says, he goes, you know what, when we're done eating, I'm putting you in the truck and we're going to Meridian and we're going to check you in because clearly something's wrong. And so, so, but everybody was sort of stunned that I said, I'm going to walk away from med school and go instead to seminary. And I, and I explained to them how, you know, I'd really been praying about this and it was a, a huge struggle for me. But anyway, so I, I ended up going to Duke University for um, seminary and then went on after there to Yale University to earn a, a doctorate and, and began my career in serving the church and in higher ed. Uh, so serving as a pastor and also as a faculty member at different colleges and universities. And then after about 20 years of that work, Christopher, I woke up one morning, again, one of these, you know, this meandering journey that we find ourselves on, you know, I woke up one morning and I said to myself, wow, I'm really tired. You know, I'm, I'm exhausted. You know, I've been, you know, I've been, you know, uh, the sort of faculty tenure rat race uh, that we, you know, that we call it. And uh, just, you know, trying to get tenure, trying to move up the ladder and, and higher ed administration, all those types of things. And one of the people God placed in my life about 10 years ago, uh, a mentor of mine, uh, was serving on the board of Methodist Labonner Healthcare System. And he reached out to me and said to me, he knew I was sort of, you know, at a turning point in my life. He and I talked about, I want to do something different. Not sure what that different thing is yet. So he reached out to me and said to me, hey, there is a role open here at Methodist, a position open for senior vice president. Uh, at that time, it's called senior vice president of faith and health. And he said, I think you should apply. And I looked at him and, and said, hey, <laughs> there's no way in the world I'll get a job like that. I don't have any experience in healthcare at all. Um, but I submitted my, my resume and um, prayed about it. And I got a call from the um, uh, president CEO and said, hey, I read your stuff. I really am interested in having a conversation with you. And, and um, that led to this. But the interesting thing about that whole journey, that whole story is, when I, when I found out I was getting the job, I called my brother-in-law, uh, who had said to me, you know, 20 plus years ago, hey, you've lost your mind. You're walking away from med school. I said, guess what? He goes, what? I said, I'm going to be working as a senior vice president for a healthcare system. He goes, what? He goes, how are you going to do that? He's like, you're not even a medical doctor. And I said, well, you know, it just goes to show how God has, has such this wonderful sense of humor uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, you know, I've sort of come full circle almost with this. Um, after having run away from it, you know, 25 plus years ago, um, 
And so, but just, just, you know, I think the main point there for me is, you know, while I think so much of our life is probably set and predetermined by God, um, the path to that place is never straight. There's always a U-turn perhaps, or even a detour or something to get us to, to where we're, where we're hoping to go. And so um, it's been a fun journey though. Yeah. It's quite a, a Joseph in the old Testament story, right? Like God puts yeah. that dream and vision on his heart Absolutely. where his brothers and his father are bowing down to him. And then he yeah. like, tells him like, Oh, look at this great dream. Yeah. And then instantly goes down this completely different path and Absolutely. To, to be able to get to the, to the vision that that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that which is a reminder that like, you know, God is our father, he's our creator. And in essence, like he put that desire on your heart for like, for healthcare, for biology. Mm -hmm. And he's like such a good father that he's faithful to those desires. And like recognizing that, like, because you were willing, um, Dr. Mosley to put, um, to put your own, your own passion on pause, basically like, okay, Lord, I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to, you know, go into ministry and, and take care of your bride, his church. Then he was, you know, just in essence, just faithful to you and, and being able to put you into the leadership position that you're in today. Yeah. So, yeah. so thank you for that, uh, that witness and testimony. That's, that's very beautiful. Um, and we, you know, as we talked about uh, as well, that before we kind of dive into the virtuous side of leadership, we like to kind of show the the human side and, and show our weaknesses um, and, and that we're all in the struggle together. Yeah. So can you, can you talk a little bit about the, the vices that you've had to overcome in order to reach the leadership um, style that you're presently in today? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm still overcoming it. Um, and so one of, and I, and I guess I would qualify this as a vice, but this is something that I, you know, I'm convicted about it all, all of the time because I'm constantly preaching this to others and I don't practice it myself and it's self-care. Um, I am an extreme workaholic, um, uh, you know, gosh. And, and part of that is the, I think the culture of some work environments we, we find ourselves in. So when I was in higher ed, um, it was very common for me to bring home so much stuff. Like I brought home so much work and after dinner and spending a little time with, with our kids and, and with my wife, I would pull out the computer and start working and literally work for an additional three hours or so. And, and I kept saying to myself, I can't continue doing this. Uh, this is not helpful for, you know, like, you know, the kids would come in and say, Hey dad, can we do this? Or can we do that? And, I say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I've got to get this done. I got to, you know, finish this project or whatever the case may be. And I, I continue to struggle with that. I'm going to be very honest and candid with you. Um, it's gotten a little better now because I, you know, my, my, my wife, thankfully, has said to me, um, and, and we've seen people around us who, for whom, um, you know, you know, my wife reminds me all the time, hey, if you collapse today and die, uh, Methodist is going to fill your position in probably a couple of weeks, you know, so, so, uh, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't uh, tire yourself out too quickly for that. Um, but, but um, I think that's one and, and another one, and I'm going to, you know, I, you know, I, I believe in being very candid and, and open and honest about challenges that we face because we all face them. Another one for me is really, 
putting aside the time, setting aside the time and disciplining myself to connect more with God. And so I actually learned from my wife a really, so my, my wife grew up, she grew up sort of, sort of connected to the church, but, you know, I grew up in the church, like going to church every Sunday, going to Wednesday night Bible study, going to Sunday school, all kinds of things like that. Like I literally lived in the church because in the, in the rural South, I mean, the church was, you know, you, if you, if there was an activity, it was at the church. And so I grew up at the church. She grew up in Philadelphia, PA, and sort of had a casual relationship with the church. But what I, what I've seen in her, and, and I told her this recently that I admire her discipline. Every single morning when she wakes up, she does a devotion. She uses the, um, the upper room. She does two, the upper room and the daily bread. And she does it on her phone. And what I tend to do every single morning, I, I wake up and go to my email, you know, pick up my phone. I look at my email to see what has come in, you know, what I need to do before I head out and that sort of thing. But about two months ago, Christopher, I said to her, I want to start doing what you're doing because I've got to, I've got to find a way to connect more. So one of the things that the, the, the one thing that I was doing was I have an uncle who sends, who sends to all of us a scripture each morning. Um, and, you know, I would read that scripture and that would be sort of, you know, the, the you know, that's sort of the extent of it. I read the scripture that he sends uh, via text. And sometimes it's a long passage. Sometimes it's a very short passage. Sometimes it's only one verse. And I thought to myself, wow, that can't be all that you're giving to God today. You know, one verse. Uh, You've got to do more than that. So I started, um, uh, she downloaded for me on my phone an app that um, sends me uh, every morning. I get a reminder. I open the app. There's a a scripture passage and there's a video uh, recording from um, uh, a pastor or a faith leader. You watch the video and then there is an actual devotion you read and there are questions and applications for life that you read as a part of it. And, and it takes about 10 to 15 minutes. And I thought to myself, you know, that's, I mean, I can do that. Like, why can I not do that? You know, I mean, what's going to change so drastically about my day and my schedule if I can't set aside these 10 to 15 minutes to do this? And so, so that's, that's, you know, that's been kind of a, you know, it's been a journey for me. And I know a lot of people will be surprised to probably hear that because I think people assume that uh, ministers and pastors and, and people of faith are the ones who are constantly reading their Bibles and constantly doing devotions and praying. But, you know, you'd be surprised, uh, folks would be surprised to know how easy it is for those things to kind of get pushed aside because you're trying to do so much else. And so I've been working on that. And I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I, it's, it, you know, I, it's a journey for me. Uh, this particular app that I have, um, it, it has something called, um, what are they called? Uh, streaks. And so like, if you, if you're go if you go eight days in a row of opening your, your reminder and doing your, your devotion, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you know, it says you've got an eight day streak, but if you miss a day, you, they drop you back down to zero. And so, so there's like this, you know, for me, there's almost this challenge that I'm not going to miss a day because, I, you know, I want to get up to whatever that number, you know, of days is without missing a day. Um, but yeah, so those are my two things, Christopher. Um, I think, um, you know, learning to, to sort of put work on pause and learning to, to step away from things that, that are, you know, that I can step away from and then giving more time to God. 
and focusing more on my own spiritual life and and my spiritual health. Um, so those are those are two of the things that I, I I would consider not necessarily vices but struggles. Now a word from our sponsors. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity that I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel knowing that you're helping feed homeless children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, please visit riveroflightchicago.org. Again, that URL is riveroflightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Yeah, just just thinking about uh, the first thing that came to my mind immediately was like the sense of Jesus in his public ministry constantly telling his disciples like, all right, I'm out of here. Um, and, and just like needing to spend that time alone with God our yeah. Father to be <clears throat> re-energized and to be filled back up. And, and it's hard to be able to minister when your tank's on, on empty. And I yeah. would imagine that probably now in this role, probably more than ever, even, even prior to in ministry and prior to higher education, that you're finding that, that your tank is probably going on empty a lot sooner than what you were used to, just because of how many people are now reporting to you and, um, and how much um, people are demanding of your time. And so, Absolutely. yeah, I could see how two of those things can, can really um, create the type of environment where you're not feeling um, you're just like being your natural and genuine self when you're like putting, you know, just really, you know, spending your nights being able to do that extra work and then, yeah. and then basically not being filled up with the love of God, our father, to be able to give that away. I can see how that, could be, that could be a, a struggle. And, and, and I also love the fact that you're actually vulnerable to be able to share that because I feel like, you know, most it's like, especially people in ministry, they might be just very uncomfortable to be able to say like, you know, we get busy too. And it is hard to like, you know, carve time out of our lives to be able to have that discipline of, of the prayer and self-care that allows you to be even more effective in the job that you're doing. And in today's world, it's just like, we're in such a fast paced world where the yeah. demands on us, our emails are dinging 24 seven, the phone call <laughs> phones are always ringing. And it's so easy to get swept away in that versus to be intentional about like, I need to make time for God. I need to make Absolutely. time for prayer. And, um, that that's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. So uh, you talked about certain rules and principles that you live by. Can you, can you tell us about that? Yes. So um, I, I, I've got about three, I think, and um, sometimes these change a little bit for me. But the first one is one that I'm still learning to live by, and we've, we've just talked about it, and that is um, um, really making God the center of, of, of who and what you are, making God the center of your life. Um, and, and I, I, you know, one of the things that I, you know, even though I'm, I'm on this journey to sort of improve my spiritual health, one of the things that I, I do do very often is, you know, I express gratitude very often because I know that apart from, from God himself, there's no way possible that I could be where I am now. Uh, the math just doesn't add up. 
um, you know, kid from rural Mississippi, first generation college student. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college. Um, and somehow, not only did I go to college, but I went to, you know, something I went to, you know, I went to Yale University. It's an Ivy League institution. Like, how in the world does that happen if you come from rural Sugarloaf, Mississippi, where I grew up? And, you know, my folks didn't have college education. Nobody had a college education. Uh, they worked um, uh, mostly, um, 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 you know, uh, service jobs. And so, so I, I always try to acknowledge the role and the presence of God in that and, and constantly give gratitude. So give gratitude for, 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 you know, for where you are, what you are. Um, even if it's not where you want to be or what you want to be yet, because it could have been something very differently. And that's, that is, that, that's one of those principles that I say to my, even to my, my kids all the time. And when I was in higher ed, I would say this to students that, you know, be grateful for where you are because you could have been someplace else. Um, so the second one is kind of connected to that and it's bloom where you're planted. So wherever God places you, um, do your very best, like bloom there. Um, and, and the reason I, I say that, Christopher, is that I know I have friends and colleagues and others who unfortunately spend so much time looking for the next opportunity. Mm. And because you're, you're distracted by looking for the next opportunity, looking for what's, you know, what's the, the next thing out there, you're not, you're not able to be as effective where you are because you're splitting your, you're splitting your time. You know, you're, you're, you're looking for what's next. You're, you know, you're looking at what other people are doing, saying, well, why can't I be doing that? Um, but, but I've lived by the principle to bloom where I'm planted. So wherever I am, I'm going to be the very best of whatever you've asked me to be in that role. I'm going to bloom there and be the very best. And the third one is kind of connected to that one also. And this is one that I've, I, I, to me, I think this is probably one where most people have the most challenge. And that is to serve in such a way that if you had to go back, you could. And so think about that for a moment. Um, a lot of people leave positions, they leave jobs on really bad terms. Um, and, 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 you know, one of the things that I can pride myself on, and I'm not, I'm not bragging here, but I can pride myself on this. There's not a place where I've ever worked or served where I cannot return. Uh, every place I've previously worked or served in, um, I left on really great terms. In fact, I get invited back often to speak places where I've served before. Uh, in fact, in October, uh, now that things are opening back up, people are starting to be back out in public. I'm returning to a church I served years ago um, uh, to speak for a service there, a special anniversary service they're having for the church in October. Uh, several weeks ago, I flew to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to a church I served as senior pastor of to do the funeral for a long-term, long-time member there. Um, the, the family asked me if I would return to do the funeral. The, path, the current pastor said, I would love for you to come to do the funeral because of the relationship you had with, with uh, uh, this member and her family. Um, but, you know, just serving, doing what you're supposed to do so that, you know, you know, like I said, if, if circumstances were to turn some sort of way and you had to return there, um, you would be able to do it. You'd be able to return. So those, those are my three kind of basic rules for life. 
I think all of them are very appropriate and timely for where we are today as a society. I think um, even just looking at the first one of gratitude, it's, it's really hard to be angry and upset and frustrated about where you are in life. Uh, because I, I just see the connection between the first two so heavy as well. That like, if you're like, kind of, you know, oftentimes in, in the church world and, and with Christians, we get to this place where we're like, oh, like we know that God is a God of transformation and that you look at all these stories in the Bible and see like all the greatness that like these characters like go through or like achieve and amass in, in their careers or in their lives. Um, and then that kind of like sets us up for like what you said, which is the, 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 you know, kind of like the, the third one, which is serve in a way that if you had to go back, you could that like be present in the moment mm-hmm. instead of like constantly being on the radar of like, okay, well, what's next God, you know, what is, where yeah. am I supposed to be going? Cause I feel like there's been a couple different people that I've worked with um, where they're, you know, they're constantly on the horizon instead of just being on the, just being in the moment and really making sure that they are just being excellent in the work that they're presently doing. Um, so, so that's excellent. And then the middle one of like bloom where you're planted. Yeah, I think that's so important to recognize that like, you know, we do serve a God who is like so ridiculously cerebral and has this like, you know, enormous plan. And so like you're here for a reason, you know, there's there's something to be learned in the present moment too. And, and so, um, just basically, like you said, you know, like you grew up in very rural, um, Mississippi and you can't see how outside of God's providence and grace and mercy to be where you are today. But if you were constantly trying to force things to happen on your own, um, and or just like disgruntled and, you know, angry about your situation, you probably wouldn't be able to be um, such a vehicle grace that you've been uh, utilized by God throughout your career. And so I think that, you know, there's tons of wisdom in all three of those as well. So, so thank you for sharing those as well, Dr. Mosley. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so then um, now in this role, um, can you tell us a little bit about your findings specifically around the social determinants of health? Sure. So, um, so um, Memphis is a very unique um, city, Christopher, uh, part of, you know, part of the, I think the mystique about the city for me is that uh, it reminds me of Charles Dickens' um, A Tale of Two Cities. So you've got kind of the springtime of hope and the winter of despair here in Memphis. So the springtime of hope being, I mean, we're home to Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. I mean, FedEx is based here. International paper is based here. So we've got some really large corporations that are based here in our city. Um, we are, we're probably one of the most philanthropic cities in, in the country. Uh, we are also one of the most religious cities in the country. So I had a friend here last weekend and we were, I was sort of touring him around, showing him um, different things in our city, different sites, the Civil Rights Museum and all those types of things. And one of the things he noticed, and he, he pointed out to me that I've, I've always noticed too, but he verbalized it. He said, there's like a church on every corner here. Or in some instances, there are like two and three churches on a block, like literally right next to each other. So it's a very religious city. You've, you've got lots and lots of churches here. Um, so that's kind of our springtime of hope, you know, where you've got these really 
strong positives about the city. But then, you know, in that winter of despair, I mean, we have one of the highest poverty rates in the nation. So about uh, 27% of our citizens live at or below the federal poverty level. Uh, we also suffer in our city from, you know, I mean, just these incredible disparities between um, our black citizens and white citizens when it comes to health outcomes. So in our city, um, black women are three times more likely to die from breast cancer than white women are. Um, uh, black women are, are three to four times more likely to become infected with HIV AIDS than white women in our community. And from the work that we've done here in, in our health system, we know that some of the, well, the main reason we have these kinds of challenges in our community is because of the socioeconomic um, disparities that exist. And so, uh, you know, when we talk about social determinants of health, we're talking about these things outside of your, that fall outside of the, you know, the, the you know, the sort of biochemical, bio, biochemical, biochemical aspects of your health. So we're talking about transportation. We're talking about housing. We're talking about uh, uh, access to, to healthy food. We're talking about education. All these, these kind of um, external factors that really impact your health quite a bit. And so what the work we've been doing here in our community is we've been trying to address some of those things, uh, you know, the ones that we think we can, we can have some control over. So for example, um, we're starting uh, within the next two to three months, we're starting what we call a food pharmacy in our, uh, our large uh, hospital here, it's called University Hospital. We're starting a food pharmacy. So Christopher, we have patients who, who will be discharged from the hospital and let's say they're a diabetic or they have um, 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 some sort of um, chronic heart disease or something of that nature. Um, we're, you know, unless they have access to the proper type of food for the diets, the restricted diets that they're on, they're gonna be right back with us in two to three weeks. They're gonna be right back in the hospital. So, so what, we're, what we're doing now is when, when people are being discharged and if, they are food in, if they're food insecure and they're diabetic or they have some other sort of chronic illness, the physicians are going to write a, a, a prescription for food and they're going to bring that prescription to our food pharmacy, uh, which will be on the first floor of our, our hospital there. And they're going to get a 30-day supply of the types of things that they must have in order to remain healthy. So for diabetic, for example... Uh, they're going to get a 30-day supply of, of, you know, of, of, you know, lean protein meat and those types of things that they that they need to have. And as a part of that process, our our case managers and our social workers, you know, will do the sort of environmental scan and environmental assessment and ask them, hey, if we give you this food, is there somewhere to store it? You know, do you have a place to store it? Do you have proper refrigeration in your home? Um, um, you know, do you have what it, you know, the necessary utensils to cook the food. Do you have the pots and pans, all those types of things. So it's, it's little stuff like that, that we have to really think about and be mindful of because so many people in our community are in such a great state of need. But that's one of the things I'm really excited about, getting this food pharmacy started and partnering with the food bank here, um, partnering with some of our churches and others to help us, um, you know, um, fund this and, and provide the resources that members of our community need. Uh, but, you know, this, this whole thing around social determinants of health, I really can't express enough uh, the significance of that. Um, you know, the, the, the notion of where you live, where you work, where you play, that actually, you know, when you look at it, you do a breakdown. 
those social determinants of health impact your overall health outcome far more than the, um, you know, the sort of biochemical aspects of your health. In fact, you know, there's sort of a new graph now that breaks this down. You know, 20% of your overall, overall health is related to the biochemical stuff. 80% of those, those factors of where you live, work, play, what you have access to, that impacts your health far more. But what the American healthcare system has done is that we have chosen to invest, and we invest trillions of dollars into that 20%. And we, we invest almost nothing in that 80%, those external environmental factors that, that, that really impact your health far more. And so there's, there's, you know, there's a, a hopefully a, a slight turning of the tide to begin to focus more on that 80%. Um, and we're doing that in our health system. We're screening people now in two of our hospitals, in our pediatric hospital and in one of our adult hospitals. We're screening people for social determinants of health. Um, we're screening them for that. Just like you would screen someone, you do a regular sort of um, um, physical exam, physical screen when they're, when they're being admitted to the hospital. We, we're now doing a screening for social determinants of health. We're asking patients to tell us, you know, um, on a scale of one to 10, it's your housing appropriate. And what we mean by appropriate is, do you have, you know, do you have electricity to you? Because there are many people who don't have electricity who live in our city or who are, you know, whose, whose electricity has been cut off. Um, you know, we ask them, do you have enough food in your house for the next three to five days to feed you and your family? Uh, so we're doing those kinds of screenings in our facility now. And when people screen positive for social determinants of health, we've built a network of community partners uh, to ensure that they get the services they need um, and to, uh, you know, so that we can begin addressing these kinds of issues. Because what we've seen time and time again is if we don't address these external environmental factors, they're going to end back up in the emergency room. They're going to end back up in the hospital um, because their issue is exacerbated by the fact that they don't have food. Uh, they don't have adequate or decent housing. Um, you know, they, they don't have transportation to make it to a follow-up appointment. Um, so that's, that's kind of, you know, that's what we've been focusing on. And thankfully, a lot of other health systems around the country are beginning to focus more and more on this as well. Yeah, well, thank you. That's that's the first time I've heard of a food pharmacy thus far, um, and you know, ultimately due to my work as a as an executive search professional within healthcare, you know, talking to many different healthcare professionals across the country. Can you speak a little bit about the ideation phase of how you guys kind of came to this decision to be able to be going down that path? Yeah. Um, so we. So it actually just started some time ago. So we were, got, we were either going to do a food pharmacy or we were going to do a community garden. And so, you know, we've seen, we've seen so many uh, other health systems and hospitals starting to do this. And so we actually took a visit a few years back to Toledo, Ohio, to a health system there that has a food pharmacy also. And we came back here and we, we said, wow, we really need to do this in our community. And um, what, what, what really kind of led to it actually is, you know, again, you know, we're seeing particularly of elder, within our elderly patient population, we're seeing so many elderly patients who were, you know, being discharged from the hospital, who have these chronic illnesses and who are unable to manage them on their own. And what, we, what we've discovered in our research that is, you know, is that 
many of these patients live in communities that are, that are considered food deserts. So even if they want to eat healthy and they want to do better, uh, there's not a grocery store nearby. And our, our public transportation system here is, is not the most efficient. Um, um, you know, the mass transit system here is not the best. And, and so what we, you know, as we visit neighborhoods, we have navigators in the neighbor, neighborhoods. What we notice people have access to is fast food and or sort of the corner store that, that cooks, you know, that, that, you know, has lots of fried food and lots of unhealthy options. And let's face it, I mean, um, you, you're going to do what, what you have to do. You're going to do what's, what's, you know, what's um, easily accessible for you. And so, um, you know, we decided that we, we've got to do something to sort of change the narrative here. And this is just one part of that, changing the narrative. And actually, one of the interesting things, um, this pharmacy, so in our university hospital, we have about three chapels. And we've got one chapel um, that is rarely ever used. And um, we're going to repurpose a chapel. So, so the exciting thing is we're taking a space that was, you know, probably 75 years ago dedicated for worship and service to God. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to worship and serve God through um, serving God's people and providing, um, providing um, food to those who are in need. And so that, that, that to me is really symbolic also that what was once a chapel um, and we, and, uh, you know, a place for people to come and worship uh, within the hospital will now be a place where people uh, who are really on the, you know, sort of on the brink where those people can come and, and receive um, really not just help, but, but receive love and care where they can, you know, it's almost like, you know, we're, we're, we're putting some, we're putting some hands and feet to, uh, to this work that God has called us to do by, by continuing to, to serve others. And it's an expression of love. I mean, think about it. If you're being discharged from the hospital and you know you're going home to an empty fridge um, and you don't have any money, you don't have any resources to get anything, what, imagine what it, what, it, what it means to be able to take home with you, um, you know, this supply of food that you can feed yourself and your family with. Hmm. I love that. That's so impressive. I'm so just um, blown away by the work that you're doing. How can people get a hold of, of you and, uh, and your organization as well, Dr. Mosley? Well, so um, we are located at methodisthealth.org. It's our website. Um, and, and actually on that website, uh, there is a link for um, our community work. Um, I think there's a link called... Um, um, it's a link related to the, you know, sort of the impact of the work we do in this community. Um, there is also a link there for something called the Congregational Health Network. Mm-hmm. And that's something I failed to mention earlier that I think a lot of people might be interested in. So this Congregational Health Network, it's a, it's a network of about um, 300 plus churches here in Memphis who have, who have made a covenant with us, with our health system that we would partner together on, on, on health and wellness. Uh, and, and it's also a realization from our health system that it's not just your physical health, it's also your spiritual health, your emotional health. And so through this congregational health network, uh, you know, we have navigators in every single church that's a part of this network. Um, and if a member is admitted to our hospital, those navigators get a notification that, you know, 
Jane Doe from, from your church has been admitted to the hospital. The navigator either visits the patient or notifies the pastor that the patient is there. But not only that, when that pa- while that patient is there, um, you know, we also avail uh, to them uh, these kinds of resources that I mentioned earlier and, and make them aware of, of other community resources. And so it's a really good partnership, Christopher, between the healthcare system and the faith community, bringing these two pillars of the community together, these two staples of the community uh, for the overall benefit of, of particularly of vulnerable members of our community. Awesome. Well, thank you for, for sharing. And we'll make sure that we post that in the show notes as well. So can pe- so people can get a hold of those resources as well. I love just, <clears throat> it's also interesting to me, the way that God has utilized your background and experience <laughs> in the church setting to be like, boom, like, yeah. it's like, basically, like when they get to the, to, to the hospital, that's just like, that's just the alarm that's going off. Like, hello, these people yeah. need like, a lifestyle change is not like we just fix the knee like or the right. heart like that's we're they're just coming right back so yeah, there's so many different people that are like bought in and passionate about helping these people to like bring them together and to be able to like you know utilize this network so absolutely love that do you mind uh, dr mosley if i close this off in prayer absolutely thank you all right. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you so much. Thank you so much for this wonderful man of God that you've uh, put into the Leading Virtuously podcast today. So excited. Whoa. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. So excited to see uh, the many ways that he is just um, just being a conduit of your love and mercy into the world. Father, I would just ask that you would break this workaholism um, off of him so that he could just continue to just be so much even more present, recognizing that when we are weak, as St. Paul says, that you are strong and to be able to just rest in his weakness and know that you are just bringing all things together for good. And Father, we thank you so much for the way that you are just radically blessing uh, Memphis, Tennessee through this man's heart and bringing all these amazing programs uh, into the world. And so, Father, we thank you and and just ask that you continue to pour your blessings upon Dr. Mosley, his ministry, his family, his children, his wife, just everywhere that he would walk, Lord, that there would just be an abundance of blessing and that people would just be so itching, just itching, Father, to be able to be in the same relationship that he has with you, to be able to receive that same amount of abundance and blessing in their lives. And we pray all this through the mighty name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Christopher. I really have enjoyed our time together today. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Mosley, for all that you're doing and look forward to continuing the dialogue with you as well. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.